1 to 12, where Jesus heals a paralytic. When you think about it, that's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? Someone that's paralysed. So let's read this account, Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12 from the New International Version. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralysed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Amen. Well, uh, good morning. Uh, welcome if you're visiting with us here this morning for the first time uh, for this series uh, on who you think Jesus is. Before we think about that passage that Steve read, let's uh, spend a moment uh, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done uh, in our world, in creating this world, uh, in in making it, and in sending Jesus into the world. Uh, Lord, thank you that you caused to be written down uh, the events of Jesus' life. And Father, as we think about those this morning, we pray that you'd help us to understand who Jesus is. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, uh, I've said a few times over the last few months that in 2014, the top question that uh, the top who is search on Google in 2014 was who is Jesus? That is, the the person that people most wanted to know the identity of uh, was Jesus. And over the past few months, we've been asking people around Launceston who they think Jesus is in an attempt to understand what it is that people understand about Jesus. Uh, what perception people have uh, of who Jesus is. Uh, We've had some really interesting answers uh, and it's been really helpful, I think, uh, to understand where people uh, or what people think about Jesus. So a number of people have said that they didn't think that Jesus ever existed. Uh, And so last week we looked at that. We we looked at what historical evidence there is for the existence of Jesus. 
Uh, a number of people ask why they should even care. I mean, wh- why bother knowing who Jesus is or asking that question? Uh, and we'll look at that next week. But a number of people also said that they thought that Jesus was a good man and just a good man. Uh, so you might be a person who thinks that Jesus existed. You don't have a problem believing that. Uh, you may, might think he lived. You might think, though, that he wasn't anything special. Uh, he was just a good man, a wise man, a really good teacher, a, a really clever teacher, but nothing more than that. He lived, he really died, but that was kind of the end of it. That was the end of Jesus. So you might look at the Bible and think, well, there's some really solid and helpful things there. There's heaps that I can take out of that. You know, I, uh, Blessed are the peacemakers, uh, love your neighbour as yourself. There's some really good things that you think you can take out of that, but you're not willing to buy into the, the kind of the supernatural stuff. If that describes you, then I hope that this morning at least helps you to think through that and to think through... Uh, why it is that throughout history lots of people have believed that Jesus was more than just a man uh, and why they're convinced that he was more than than just a good man. Uh, Alternatively, you might have always believed that Jesus was more than just a, a good man. You might believe in the resurrection. You might believe that Jesus is God. But now you're having lots of doubts and you're thinking, actually, how do I know that that's true? I've just accepted that, but how do I know that that is actually the reality? Or you might have a friend who has doubts uh, or a friend who doesn't know who Jesus is, who just thinks they're a good man and you want to know what you can say to them to help them think through that about the identity of Jesus. Well, if you're in either of those camps or any of those camps, hopefully this morning helps you then to think about uh, who Jesus is. Uh, What I want to do this morning is to work through three events Uh, in Jesus' life, uh, recorded in two of the documents that we have from the first century. Uh, And I want to address two questions. Firstly, who did Jesus think that he was? And second of all, who did uh, the early Christians, who did the disciples think that Jesus was? If you're not sure about the reliability of the, uh, the Gospels that we're looking at, I spoke about that last week and you might want to follow that up uh, on the web. There's the talk from last week is on the web or there's also on the Uh, the table in the foyer, a a pamphlet called Can We Trust the Gospels? Uh, And you're welcome to take one of those. But first, uh, the the, the first two events that we're going to look at uh, in Jesus' life come from Mark's account, from Mark's biography of Jesus, and then we'll look at another one from Matthew's biography. Mark wrote his uh, biography of Jesus in about 50 AD, and in the second chapter, he recounts that event that we read just before, that Steve read for us, where Jesus engages with the religious leaders of his day. He enters this place called Capernaum, and when the people hear that he's there, they gather, they crowd around, they go to the house where Jesus is, and it's so packed out that when these four men come carrying their friend on uh, his bed, they can't get into Jesus, and so they have to kind of open up the roof and lower their friend down uh, to get him to Jesus. And when Jesus sees the kind of extraordinary determination and faith of these people, he turns to this paralyzed man and says something unexpected. He says, your sins are forgiven. It seems like an odd thing to say, doesn't it? Uh, Presumably this man had come because he uh, wanted to be healed. He wanted to walk again. 
But Jesus turns to him and instead forgives his sins. Jesus wants the people to understand something about who he is and what he's come to do. The religious leaders of Jesus' day understand straight away what Jesus is claiming. They say among themselves in verse 7, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They think what Jesus has said is blasphemy. Why is that? It's because they recognise that what Jesus is claiming to do is to, is to do something that only God can do. They recognise that Jesus is implicitly claiming to be God. If you steal my hat, I can forgive you. Uh, but if you steal somebody else's hat, and then I come in and I say... Dave, I forgive you. You would think, what is this man talking about? He's got nothing to do with it. It's between, it's between the two of us. Who is he? This is kind of this uninterested third party. How can you forgive someone when you don't have anything to do with the crime or having been affected by it? But God does have something to do with it. If God made you and me and if he made this world and if God holds our lives in his hands and if he made us to love each other and to live for him and to honour him in everything that we do and if God upholds justice, then everything God, then God has, has to do with everything. That everything in the world, he has something to do with it. The world that you're destroying is his world. The people that you're hurting are his people, his children. The rules that you're breaking are his rules. If you go and beat up somebody's child, the parents have something to do with it, don't they? They feel the effect of it. And so for Jesus to come along and say, I forgive you, is a claim to be able to do something that no other human being can do. It's a claim to do something that only God can do. The Dalai Lama is considered by many people to be a great religious figure. But he can't forgive other people. He can't come along and say, Carl, I forgive you for punching Bob in the face. He has nothing to do with it. He's just another man. And Buddha can't forgive you. He's just a man as well. He was a man who claimed to be enlightened, but he's just a man. And Muhammad can't forgive you, he just claimed to be another prophet. But if Jesus is God, he made us, he created us, he gives us life, he gives us our every breath, we belong to him, the world belongs to him, and if we break his world and destroy his world, we're in the wrong with him. And we need him to forgive us, and Jesus says, I can do that. Because I'm God. And he can't, God can't co-opt that out to somebody else to do for him. Only God can do it himself. But Jesus knows what these religious leaders are thinking. They're thinking to themselves, all right, he's blaspheming, he's saying these things, but they're empty words. They're just empty words, aren't they? And so in verse 9, Jesus says to them, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat 
and walk. It's easy to say, isn't it? It's easy to walk into the room and say to somebody, your sins are forgiven. And they think to themselves, well, who says? How do I know that? I can't see that. I can't see a sin being forgiven. There's no evidence that that's happened. Well, you can't see sins being forgiven, but what you can see is someone who can't walk being made to walk again. And so in order that people would believe that Jesus can forgive sins, Jesus does what can be seen. He heals this paralyzed man. Verse 10, he says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. And he does. He picks up his mat. He walks out the door in front of all these witnesses, in front of all these people. Jesus did what can be seen in order to demonstrate that he can also do what can't be seen, to forgive sins. So who did Jesus think he was? Well, Jesus thought he had the authority to do what only God can do, to forgive sins. And he proved that by healing this man. As C.S. Lewis has uh, pointed out, to think that Jesus was a wise man without accepting that he is God is just silly. Because as we see here in Mark 2, Jesus said some pretty outrageous things. He made some pretty extreme claims. No wise man claims to be God unless they are. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, uh, Mere Christianity, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and, uh, or, and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. And that's what the people of the first century did, didn't they? They... They realised what Jesus was claiming to be. They realised he was claiming to be, to be God and they put him to death for it. Whatever else we make of the Jesus of history, it seems clear that he understood himself to be God come in the flesh. So Jesus claims that. He claims to be more than a man. He claims to be God, to be able to forgive sins and he shows that by healing this paralysed man. Let's turn now to another account in Mark's uh, account of Jesus' life. So if you've got your Bible still there, turn a few chapters later to Mark chapter 4, uh, verse 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35, and we'll read that, uh, where it says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, that is Jesus, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. 
The disciples are in this boat. They're caught up in this terrible storm. They're terrified. Jesus, remarkably, is asleep in the stern of the boat. The boat's nearly swamped. They're about to drown, and they wake Jesus up, there and they accuse him, basically, of not caring that they're going to die. At which point Jesus gets up, he rebukes the wind and the waves, and he says for them to be still. And even more remarkably, they are. This storm, this lake that was, you know, foaming and furious, becomes like a mill pond. The disciples are terrified. They were terrified by the storm, but even once the storm's over, they're more terrified. They're terrified by the fact that there is a man in their boat who has just stood up and in a few words told the weather what to do. He just says a few words. Quiet, be still. And it is. And they turn to each other and they say, who is this guy? Who is this guy that he speaks and the creation listens? Jesus hasn't just done some kind of little card trick. He's not the, he's not the guy at the marketplace, you know, with the, the cups and asking you to find where the coin is. This isn't some sideshow trick. This is something that no one had ever done before. No one has ever done. This is power that no human being has ever displayed. The disciples don't understand yet who Jesus is. They can't work it out. It's blowing their minds trying to understand who Jesus is. They don't expect God to be in a boat with them. They don't expect God to be in their world as another human being, to be in his, to, for God to be in his own world as one of his own creations. But what other option is there? Who else could this be? Who else but God has power like that over creation? What Mark is giving us here in his biography of Jesus is the process by which the disciples came to understand who Jesus was. It was events like this where Jesus showed he had the power of God over creation that helped them come to terms with who Jesus was. It was events like in chapter 2 where Jesus proved that he had the power to forgive sins that enabled the disciples, that convinced the disciples who Jesus was. That any Jewish person could end up believing that God had come into their world as a human being is frankly astonishing. The Jews were utterly committed to the idea that there was only one God. Again, to quote C.S. Lewis, he said a lot of helpful things, you might gather, but uh, C.S. Lewis says, it is very odd that this horrible invention, he's being facetious, it's very odd that this horrible invention about a religious leader should grow up among the one people in the whole earth least likely to make such a mistake. On the contrary, we get the impression that none of his immediate followers or even of the New Testament writers embraced the doctrine at all easily. That is, Lewis is saying the idea that Jesus was God come as a man into our world was so controversial, so deeply objectionable, 
that it would have seemed like a horrible invention to, to any Jewish person. It would have seemed like a terrible mistake. You can't believe that. That's blasphemy. That's what the religious leaders said, isn't it? And the only reason that the early Christians accepted that it was true was because the evidence forced them there. It was because they found themselves in a boat with a man who said to the, crea- said to the wind and the weather, who said to the creation, stop, and it did. A man who said he could forgive sins and he proved it by healing a paralysed man. The Apostle Paul was initially putting Christians to death because he found the idea so objectionable. But in the end, the evidence forced him there as well. Even if you're not sure that you can trust the Bible yet, just suppose for a moment that that's that this story is true and that these men really were in a boat in 33 AD or 30 AD or whatever it was and that this man really did get up and calm the storm. Who do you think that is? What kind of person do you think that is? I think the only explanation is the explanation that the disciples ended up forming which was that Jesus is not just a man, but God as well. Somehow, he's God as well. Well, Jesus saw himself as God, doing what only God can do. And the disciples, they were initially confused, but they begin to work out that he's more than just a man. And that becomes really obvious uh, a little later in the ministry of Jesus. And I just want to turn to uh, one other event in the life of Jesus from Matthew's Gospel. So flick back a few pages to Matthew 16. Uh, Matthew 16, verse 13. Where it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and uh, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus asks his disciples who people say the Son of Man is, and the Son of Man is Jesus' title for himself. So he's asking, who do people think that I am? Jesus is doing his own Who do you think Jesus is survey? He probably didn't have the banners. I'm guessing he might have. Uh, That might have been where Matt got them from. But but here are the top responses. He even has the top responses as well. This is what people say. Some say Jesus is John the Baptist, uh, resurrected after Herod put him to death. 
We know that can't be true because they were both alive at the same time and John baptised Jesus. So we know that that's not the right answer. Others say that he is Elijah, uh, the Old Testament prophet raised from the dead again, uh, or one of the other Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah. But neither of those explanations satisfies the, the question why or how Jesus could forgive sins or how Jesus could control the weather and control creation. So Jesus asks his disciples, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds with these words, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The disciples are beginning to work it out. They were mystified in the boat, but now they seem to have more insight into what's going on. Peter says that Jesus is the Christ. Christ is the, is, uh, is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. The Christ is God's saviour and king. Jesus is the one whom God had promised uh, or God had sent to rescue us and to rule over us. Peter also says that Jesus is the son of the living God. That is, Jesus is God's own son who does the things that God does and who has the power of God and who is God. If you find that a very confusing idea, we'll look at that uh, in more detail in a couple of weeks. But for the moment, look at how Jesus responds to Peter's realisation of who he is. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. To know who Jesus is, to know that he is our saviour and king, to know that he is the son of the living God is to be blessed. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because you know who I am. You've worked it out. And it's upon that realisation, Jesus says, that he's building his church. Jesus is not building his church out of people with immaculate lives. God is not building his church out of people who are perfect because otherwise the church would be empty. God is building his church out of people who do one thing. They recognise who Jesus is. They recognise that he is God's son and God himself, that he is God's saviour and king and they entrust themselves to his rescue and rule. That's all you do, need to do to be saved. You just need to know who Jesus is and you need to entrust yourself to him. It's out of those people who do that that God is building his church. It's those broken, messed up, fallen people that God has picked up in Jesus and that he is building into a church, into people who know and love God into people who are holy and blameless through Jesus Christ. You see, whether Jesus is a, just a good man or not really matters. It actually matters enormously. It matters because if he's God, he has the authority to forgive sins. It means he has the power to reconcile us to God. It means he has the power to fix a broken world, to fix a world riven by natural disasters, a world riven by human beings' cruelty to one another. 
It means he has the power to heal the sick, to undo the pain and sickness which afflicts us. It means he has the power to defeat death, to raise people to life again. It means he has the authority to judge us, to condemn us or to spare us. But if Jesus is not God, if he's just a good man, he can't do any of that. He can't save the world. He can't fix the world. He can't make the world better. If Jesus is just a good man, all he can do is tell us what to do and leave us to fail to do it. The early Christians saw and heard enough to know that Jesus was more than just a good man. They saw him do incredible things. Things that broke down their existing view of the world and challenged their preconceptions. It challenged them to believe that God had done what nobody could ever imagine that he would do. They were so convinced of that that they wrote it down. That they wrote it down in the Bible for us to know about it. And they were so convinced of it that many of, us, many of them went to their graves because of it. They were so convinced that they died holding on to the truth which they'd seen and heard. That Jesus was more than just a man. Well, I'm going to uh, pray a prayer now. And if you're also convinced and you share that conviction uh, of those early Christians, then you might like to pray along in your own heart as well. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I know who Jesus is. He is your only Son. He is God together with you. He was with you before the creation of the world from eternity past. And yet you sent him into this world to save everyone who puts their trust in him. I know that he has the power to forgive sins, that he has the power over all creation, and that he has the authority to judge, to bring down, and to raise to life. I entrust myself to him, to his love and care. Forgive me through Jesus for all the wrong I've done against you. Help me to trust Jesus and help me to trust the forgiveness I have through his death on the cross. Help me to trust that more and more every day. And help me to follow Jesus, to give up my own life to do his will. I ask it not because I deserve it, but because you have promised that everyone who comes to Jesus, you will not cast out. Amen.